This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It was horrifying. So, you know, I had nothing left. I couldn't really get out of my bed, literally. I was so affected by it. And then I start thinking, you know, how do I snap out of this? Because it goes on for days and weeks. And then I, I start thinking, you know, why I'm creating this? Why I'm doing this? Hello, and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Greta Thomas. And I'm Claire Hatton. And you are in the right place if you're after inspiration, uplifting stories and practical advice from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. And if you're looking to get ahead or trying to figure out what's next for you, stay tuned. And thank you to all of you who've left us such great reviews. We really, really appreciate it. We certainly do. It's one of the main ways we can see that what we're putting out is making a difference. And we do read everyone. So please, if you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you took a minute and left us a review. Now to this week's episode. Our guest this week is one of the most determined and resilient people we've ever met. For the past 13 years, she's been on a mission to improve education for millions of children in Ethiopia, encountering challenges on almost every front. We're talking about the amazing Brookti Tigabu. We certainly are. And at the age of 10, Brookti took on the role of head of the household after her mother became very ill. She found a way to make ends meet and get food on the table by selling vegetables from their garden in the market. She credits this time in her life with giving her the basic business and survival skills that have helped her get where she is today. And where you find this former school teacher today is running the social enterprise she co-founded called WizKids Workshop. It creates a raft of educational media programs, including three internationally awarded television series for children in Ethiopia. For the past 13 years, WizKids Workshop has inspired a generation of young children in Ethiopia with their most famous and loved program, the puppet-based educational TV show called Tasai Loves Learning. They've also published over 100 books in seven languages, produced radio programs, DVDs and teacher training, all to improve literacy, health education, gender equality and early childhood education. Wow, that's a lot. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And that's half of it. It's crazy. It's fantastic. Now, in this episode, you'll learn how Brookty found her life's purpose to enrich the lives of children and teens, what it's like being a woman running a business in Ethiopia. Seriously hard. Not wrong there. How Brookty pushes through fear and why she found herself not being able to get out of bed 
and how she got herself going again. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with the incredible Brookti Tigabu. Brookti Tigabu, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. We're so excited to have you on the show. And I believe you're speaking to us from Addis Ababa, your home in Ethiopia. Is that right? That's correct. How are you guys? We're fantastic. Thank you again for making the time to be on Don't Stop Us Now. So you um, may be aware, but we very frequently start our podcast conversations by asking our guests, how would you describe what you do today in a couple of sentences? So I'd love to ask you that question, Brookdee. I run a company called WizKids Workshop. It's a social enterprise that focuses on creating educational programs and delivering it in a mass scale to children and youth in Ethiopia. Fantastic. That's so inspiring. I'm, we can't wait to dig deep into learning much more about that. Before we go further, WizKids Workshop primarily has been a massive pioneer in creating particularly television content for young Ethiopian children. Is that right? That's correct, yes. I'd love to rewind the clock now, and we typically explore with our guests a little bit about their childhood. What do you remember about your childhood? I had a happy childhood. <laughs> I did have one young brother and uh, older sister, but for the most part, I was also the only child because my sister didn't grow up with us uh, for most of her childhood. And my there was a big gap between me and my little brother. So I had a um, great childhood, but lots of responsibility. I didn't really realize it was, you know, a lot of responsibility for a child at that time. But now looking back, some of, you know, my strengths come from, you know, how I spent my childhood, like taking care of my family, my mother. Can you tell us a little bit more about those responsibilities? Was your mother unwell or? Yes. Yeah, so there was a time like when I was, I think, 10 and 11. My mom was very sick and my brother is only two years old or so. So I had basically to figure out how to feed her, how to still go to school and taking care of my little brother. So it was a bit tough time in terms of also at the school, kids used to tease me for either maybe not being, you know, well-dressed or something like that because I came from poor family. I wasn't really, you know, from middle class or high class family. So but, you know, like I didn't really felt like it was a tough childhood. I didn't really feel that way. I thought life is just like that. You know, everybody has or their own way of living. So that was my share. <laughs> kind of reflect sometimes, you know, how I get uh, strong or where that comes from. And sometimes it leads back to my childhood somehow. I can imagine. And how long were you sort of playing that? key responsible role in the household looking after your mother as well as your siblings two to three years and then she got well and um, things got back in track but for those two three years it seems forever at that time absolutely especially when you're 10 yeah I think when you're young I guess <laughs> time feels like a really long time were you struggling at that point if your mum wasn't able to work you know were was it difficult to get you know, food on the table? Was that a problem? Yes. So I had to learn, you know, how to make complex foods. Like, you know, in our culture, we make injera. So usually kids don't make injera. It's a typical bread you make, you use as a staple food. So I remember, you know, I need to stand on a chair and make a bread for all of us in order to eat. 
And also my mom is quite a, a pride person. Like she doesn't want to let other people know that she's going through a hard time. So we really have to go sometimes take some vegetable garden from our backyard and go sell it in the markets, trying to get some money. So that kind of thing, like I didn't know how I managed to do that kind of, even how to come up with that idea. So I guess having that business skill early on comes handy now, but I think it's just a matter of survival at that point. Yeah. What a big thing on a 10 year old's shoulders. And do you remember either when you were 10 during that time or perhaps a little bit older, sort of 13, 14, what did you want to be when you grew up? I don't have something that's clear. I know that I want to do something great and make my family proud and support them in a way that makes them happy. But I would like my mom used to say, like, my mom, my child will be engineer or doctor. Uh, and this is kind of common, like that you're expected. The best jobs are being a doctor or engineer. So they always say those kind of things. So I didn't really have time. Would I want to do those things or not? Like, I just want to know that I need to do something great and make them proud. So when I graduated from high school, we had very limited universities in Ethiopia. So the government and the system actually decide what you will study based on the number of people have, what score they have and things like that. So I was expected to do well and get you know, opportunities to study either medicine or um, engineering. But I got to be a teacher. So that was a big <laughs> disappointment because... Teachers are the lowest paid and were not respected. So I felt like I let my family down, I let myself down, and I felt like, well, I need to go to other countries somehow and study what I want and make my family proud. So, yeah, I was very disappointed at that time. Wow, I can imagine. So how did you get yourself through the disappointment to then take on becoming a teacher? Again, this is, you know, from childhood, you know, when I was in, especially in high school, I used to gather kids and tutor them. I loved teaching them how to read and things like that. But that's never connected as professional. Like, that's not something I want to do. Like, you know, that's not a noble job. It is just I do because I love to help the children, my neighbors and things like that. But then when I come to college and study teaching it was just a, a backup plan like it's not something I didn't put my hairs and soul to it I was just going through it and maybe I'll find a job and find other opportunities I didn't really get into it and then comes graduation and then just before graduation we had to do teaching practice so that would be um, scored in our total graduation point as well so everyone has to do it so I went to a class with my teaching gates and you know you know properly trying to teach the children so that was my first formal experience going to school as a teacher and the kids obviously didn't know we we're really practicing so they really took us seriously and I it just changed my my life I think that was a moment I felt like I connected what a job means and what your call like you know this is something I I'm created to do because I was so happy being with them. They were so engaged and they look at me like I am like an angel that I was just delivering this message and whatever I say is correct and true. And it's just being in that moment and that kind of responsibility, I felt like this is incredible, you know, and I 
I should be actually honored to serve these children. How fantastic that actually, you know, even though you didn't know it, you'd actually found your true calling. (laughs) And so you were a primary school for about six years, I think. Is that right? Three years. Three years. Okay. And then you decided to do something different, which basically became WizKids. You know, how did that idea really come about? The school I was teaching is quite innovative. There are different activities after school, trying to engage people, trying to open up our perspective, discussing about from religion to politics, having reflecting on books and having book club. So I was really blooming. You know, this is like my kind of place. I work hard, but at the same time, at the end of the day, also there are this um, kind of nurturing environment to do different things. And uh, in one summer, you know, now my husband, <laughs> Shane, arrived in Ethiopia. And then um, for us, you know, we know this American guy who come for a year or so to help us teach English better. That was my perspective. But then... He also had a mission. I think when he came, the school approached him and they discussed about creating children media in Ethiopia. So they asked, you know, the teachers to come together at the end of class to volunteer and write scripts or figure these things out because it hasn't been done before in Ethiopia. So I obviously, you know, this is a great opportunity. I volunteered, but we didn't really have direction. We didn't know what we're doing. And we also don't know where to start. So we're just looking at different television programs like Sesame Street, Blue's Clues. And so we watched lots of them and trying to say, you know, how do we turn this kind of things in Ethiopia in our context and our culture and language? So in that process, we start dating, Shane and I, and then uh, we decided to get married. And then we did. And then our personal life kind of took off and we traveled, I know, to Europe and stayed as part of our honeymoon. And it was my first experience living in Ethiopia as well. What was that experience like, Bukti? What did you think when you first touched down in a big Western European or American city? So the first city I went to was um, in German. So we went to Frankfurt and then started driving to Austria and he had friends and he did started a school long time ago in Czech Republic. So we first thing I was like, oh my God, you know, there are so many countries which are beautiful as much as Ethiopia. <laughs> you think your country is the only green, the only beautiful, um, you know, thing. So that was my reaction. Like, this is incredible, you know. Um, and then every time we travel somewhere, I go to schools. I try to visit schools. What do they look like? How do they teach? And, you know, what are the things they use? So I always get inspired, you know, a lot. But always also left heartbroken. Like, how are we going to catch up in the global competition if this is what education looks like in other country and the resource they have, the resource we don't have? Mm, I can imagine. Because it must be heartbreaking just seeing what your kids have got versus what other kids have got and knowing the difference. And so then you came back to Ethiopia. How did you actually get started with WizKids? So we came back and obviously <laughs> we have to decide, you know, we I can't be a full-time teacher and do this work. Uh, same for him. So we quit our job, used our living room as a studio and then start basically reading, experimenting and creating this thing. So 
we both have no clue how to, you know, make film or edit or write scripts. So we basically just have to do it and teach ourselves and read books and research on internet. So we said, okay, let's try at least create a short film, try to teach children about certain concepts. So we took um, the tortoise and hare story. We did a new adaptation of it because we needed to start somewhere and we don't want to, we don't know how to even write a script. So we created that story, but adapting it to Ethiopian context. And then we try to put values in those stories, highlighting certain things and then create the puppets. So, so it took us probably, I don't know, four to six months to produce this short film. And then I took it to my class and say, all right, how do they react to this? And I had, you know, my questions and all ready for different classrooms and uh, showed it to them. And it was just incredible. That's another aha moment, you know, in my life. I said, okay, this is a big opportunity again to make a huge impact because the children loved watching it. They asked to watch it again and again because that's the first time they've seen puppets talking Amharic, the local language. They also understood everything we wanted to teach. In fact, sometimes they even went deeper. So we understood, we learned that there is a power to communicate strong message and really educate children through this media, what it's going to be and, and all that. So Shane and I came out very inspired and committed and say, okay, how do we structure this in a way it's sustainable? Because we only have, we, we're just leaving out of our saving at that point we don't have any money so we also have this vision to say okay we can influence our education system we can produce something good and that actually contribute to their learning outcome so we agreed on that and then we said where is the biggest gap in our education system and it was kindergarten the early childhood education because the government considered it as an expensive intervention and leave it to only private companies and schools to address that, which leave only the well-to-do family to get that kind of education. So if we fast forward 13 years since you first premiered Sahai Loves Learning, I imagine WizKids Workshop has come quite some distance. How many programs do you have now? So we have come a long way. We did over 100 episodes of High Loves Learning, radio as well as TV. We've published over 100 titles of books and seven mother tongue languages. We um, also helped, you know, the government and other big projects in the education system. So we developed over 300 teachers training videos. We've done um, other programs like Involve Me, which is a program, a television program for adolescents about creativity and telling their own story. And now we're also working on new Pan-African TV show called Web Girls. So strategically, we're focusing the next four years on these two programs on uh, High Labs Learning as well as um, Web Girls which will allow us to cover, you know, from age three to 18 with these two programs. And it's also easier to adapt to multiple countries. So we're focusing on these two shows. One of the things, you know, I think is outstanding about you is that it seems that there've been these moments in life that have come and you've just stepped right into them. You know, it seems without fear 
Is that actually how it was? Or was there fear involved in these big moves that you've made? Oh, there is fear all the time. <laughs> there is fear of, you know, letting the children down. There is fear that I don't know how I'm going to continue. I always have higher expectation. So, you know, the final outcome won't be as good as uh, should be. There are so many challenges. It's just constantly, even now. So, you know, I always run into this big task. <laughs> so sometimes it seems like bigger than me and I don't know how to go through it when there's a chance of failure. But still, I also look at the other outcome, which, you know, children enjoying, loving and learning from it. So with all the fear, I'll still push through. So it's not to say, you know, I am courageous. I have moments that I don't know how to go about it. But yeah, I do go face to face and just charge and um, figure it out one step at a time. It sort of sounds like taking action is what you do to get through fear. But are there any other tactics and tools that you've picked up along the way that help you push through that sort of overwhelm or that anxiety that you'll let people down? So I do work hard and also ask for help. I think in the last few years, one of the things I learned is that to be open and vulnerable and really ask for help because I always take on too much and push through yeah. <laughs> myself. And so there are many people who are really kind and be supportive. So sometimes we shouldn't just figure it out by ourselves and take on on ourselves. So it's good to show, you know, what we're doing and feel it's okay to be vulnerable. I mean, it's really hard for me to get, come to this point, but I think I've learned so much from being vulnerable and it's okay. I think it's really great advice to everyone because I think as women, we tend to take on, you know, everything and we want to be everything, don't we? So asking for help is really important. We can hear through your journey that it hasn't been easy. How do you get yourself through those times where you just want to give up or financially you're just thinking, oh my God, I just can't continue doing this? So, I mean, this is an ongoing challenge. It's not necessarily I haven't overcome it fully, but um, I am very adaptive in a way. Like I, I mean, I had a very, very, very hard time and few months for work really hard on this project about girls to bring it in life. I've been working on it for five years. Two years ago, I launched it uh, to be a pilot. And, you know, since then, I didn't get money to raise and uh, to produce it. And and finally, you know, I got uh, support from Packard Foundation to do first season and then build on that and then got even much, much bigger funding from UK government with a local partner. And that big funding is about to be signed. And my local partner want me to basically, they want me be out of the project and they want it all for themselves. So this is just in the last minute, you know, that I was hoping, you know, to get above girls covered for the next six years. I worked hard on it for two years on this proposal, having so many, you know, opportunity lost and family and time and all kinds of uh, sacrifices been done. And then I had to walk away from from this toxic partnership. This has just happened literally six months ago. And I felt like I have nothing left, literally. My body is exhausted from working all night for many weeks. 
and emotionally I've been stabbed at the back. I've been literally, you know, being betrayed. And in terms of professionally, all those people who were expecting and willing to give this money, we let them down at last minute. So it's just, you know, one of the difficult time in my career. It was horrifying. So, you know, I had nothing left. I couldn't really get out of my bed, literally. I was so affected by it. And then I start thinking, you know, how do I snap out of this? Because it goes on for days and weeks. And then I I start thinking, you know, why I'm creating this? Why I'm doing this? It's about the children again, you know, it's not about money. It's not about making more production. So those things is going to happen anyway. So I need to be connected with the kids again. So I start going to schools, reading for the children. I start doing, you know, the basic things that makes me so happy and remind me the biggest vision. And I did snap out of it. I mean, (laughs) my family was saying, you know, I need to see professional help. It was bad to that level. And but I, for me, it brings me back to myself again by focusing why I am doing this to begin with and reconnected to that big vision and being in the classroom, being connected to the kids. And I found myself again and now I'm pushing again to make this happen. So, wow, what an incredibly powerful story that is. Really. Yeah, so <laughs> long answer for short question, yeah. but. Um, but, you know, basically knowing what your why is and knowing that that really replenishes your energy. Think well, keep, incredible. Keep going, Brooke D. Keep going. Yeah, don't give up. Please don't give up. can tell that you've got an amazing program in the pipeline there. So, And just out of curiosity, where are you up to now with um, Tibet Girls? So Tibet Girls, right now we've finished all 13 new uh, scripts. So we finished 13 episodes. We have... 11 artists across Africa who are working the artworks right now. So we're developing, you know, the characters and the backgrounds and all that. So we're starting audio production next month. And we're hoping, you know, by March 8th for Women's Day, we're going to bring this to the world and um, launch. How wonderful. International Women's Day. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a superhero show, isn't it? So it's about girls. is about three superhero girls who are tackling you know the day-to-day challenge girls face in Africa to go through life so in this first season we are addressing issues about early marriage or child marriage female genital mutilation domestic violence and the the obstacle to go to school for a girl so I mean these are really tough big topics that it's very hard to communicate with teenagers for like earlier and adolescents, you know, for 12, 11, uh, 13 years old. How do you talk about, you know, these issues uh, about menstruation, about female genital mutilation and still inspire them and to create change agents basically through this show. But it's quite inspiring because these are not fictional stories. These are what happens every day, unfortunately. So we just turn those into animation and through these three young girls who also have ordinary life that happen to have this power, the kids at home will learn, you know, resilience and different life skills, as well as, you know, how to navigate through these difficult topics. So, so important. I could just see the, the power of it. It really is incredible. Well, you know, well done for pushing this through. And, you know, it sounds like it's been a real labor of love. 
we're all behind you. We know you're going to get it there. Yay, thank you. <laughs> Just out of curiosity for ourselves and our listeners who are not familiar with life in Ethiopia, how common is it for there to be a woman running a company? Are you in a minority or are you sort of one among many there? I'm definitely in the minority running especially media companies because the media production, that kind of thing, is mainly considered as man job, not only in Ethiopia, but worldwide. What's been the hardest part about being a female running your business? Oh, what's not? I mean, <laughs> I try not to focus on that, but I mean, starting from managing your stuff at all time, you have to prove yourself. You have to set your boundaries. You have to it's almost like a battlefield if you just look at work for female and and Ethiopia. I don't know if it might not be only in Ethiopia, but for me, it's a constant proving yourself, working three times more and drawing a line saying, look, you can't treat me like this. You can't say this. You can't do this. You can't. And, you know, it's a constant uh, fight, basically. That's nothing to do with the actual work. So... It's about, you know, from setting a meeting to get attention to people who make decisions, to your employees. That's the major inspiration for Tabab Girls for me, like how we view women and girls in, in our society is so toxic and it is so unfortunate that blocks so many creative and high potential people out of the question because they just weren't born in different genitals. So that's just not acceptable. But the change can't happen overnight. That means we have to suffer through through it and still make it happen. For me, like there are so many decisions. I can give you thousands of examples every day almost that I would say to myself, this wouldn't happen if I was a guy, you know? This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is happening because I'm a, a woman. Like there's no other question or answer for it. Yeah, sounds like you have have developed so much strength and resilience on a daily basis. That's incredible. What would be your advice to young women? I think they need to set their ground and try to speak their truths and find people who can support them because I think what happens mostly, even in my early career and when I was young, Sometimes you feel like you're alone. No one is going to listen or respect or take you seriously. Or if you say, you know, this is something happened to you offending, but no one is going to take it or see it that way. So keep it to yourself. And so I really encourage young people not to do that. If something is not working out or like it's not going well because they are being mistreated because they're female or whatever, they need to speak out and find a tribe who can align with them and support them because I think that's how they can fight. That's how collectively we fight it and kill this system that's not supporting women. Great advice. You have to find your tribe and then have the courage to speak out for what you believe in. And if you think back to yourself, say when you were about 30 years old, it's a question we ask most of our guests, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? What would I say to my 30 years old? I would say probably let go a little bit and empower others as well. I think I was focused a lot on um, getting things done and do it in the perfect way possible. So I think 
it's okay, you know, to make mistakes. It's okay. It's not perfect and good is enough sometimes and let go and also empower others so that, you know, when you feel tired and exhausted, you're already invested on people who can take over and help you. That would have been my advice to myself. I think that's brilliant advice. Now, I know that our listeners are probably likely to want to be able to find out more about you and WizKids. So how could they actually do that? So we have a website, uh, wizkidsworkshop.com, and thebabgirls.com will come soon. I think we would need a lot of support on that, spreading the news and this exciting project. So thebab is T-I-B-E-B, then girls.com. So through our websites and there are Facebooks, Instagrams, we're trying to get better at those things. Um, But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure we put all of those contact details onto the episode page of for this episode. So all that really leaves me is to thank you again and, and really wish you huge amounts of luck. And we absolutely love what you're doing and wish you so well in the future. Thanks for giving us more voice. And I really appreciate what you do as well. It's uh, incredible. And, and we need people like you who amplify what we do. And so thank you so much. Thanks, Brooke T. Wow. And we think it's hard to be a woman in business in a Western country. We have it easy in comparison, don't we? Well, it certainly feels that way listening to Brookti's experience. It sounds exhausting, totally exhausting. And Brookti's resilience to keep going in the face of all sorts of adversity really has been so inspiring. Yeah, and like many women we've spoken to on this podcast, it's her why that keeps driving her forward. It's those kids' faces and the impact she's having on the lives that keeps her going. Certainly is. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and thinking, I don't know what my why is or what my purpose is, then check out our earlier How to Breathe Easy About Your Purpose episode, which may well help you. Certainly will, I hope. Well, with that, that's this episode done and dusted. Check out our next episode, which we're a little bit excited about, aren't we, Greta? Yes, we are. We're talking to a woman with possibly the best job title ever. That is Trudy Cortez, who is, wait for it, Chief of Human Exploration and Space Operations for NASA. Awesome. It's just the best job title. I seriously can't wait for that one, particularly as the 50th anniversary of the moon landing is just around the corner now. Absolutely. So see you then. Ciao for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.